hey, hey, and happy holidays. It is Adrian Lawrence and I'm joining you for the conversation. And today we are talking about maybe a gentleman in tech and how he is running a social media platform into the ground. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Elon Musk and what is going on there at Twitter. And so joining us to help us do that is Ben Bergman, senior correspondent, specializes in VC and startups for Insider. Thanks for joining us, Ben. Happy to be here. Yes. So. It's always leading headlines because Elon Musk, for some reason, can't just spend uh, what uh, $50 on therapy as opposed to 44 billion on Twitter. And as a result, there is a lot of chaos. And among that chaos, um, what we have cracking down on Twitter employees, and I guess people aren't too happy about it. What's going on? Yeah, well, since the beginning, by laying off almost half the Twitter workforce, he said that he was going to really change Twitter or it was gonna head towards bankruptcy. And since then it's only gotten more chaotic. He's turned Twitter offices into sleeping pads. He's only said hardcore people can stay. He's fired people and then hired them back. And then he said recently, I'm gonna ask in a poll whether I should remain as the CEO. Uh, people said he should not. He got a little quiet after that. And then he just said, well, it's gonna take a while to pick a CEO. So maybe hold on to that thought. Wow, just to think, to buy a platform and spend those billions of dollars in doing so, and then only to have people decide by poll whether he should remain CEO, that just seems absolutely absurd. But I'd love to go ahead and kind of get back and touch upon the working conditions that people are enduring there at Twitter. It's my understanding that with the whole converting offices to sleeping quarters, that that produced an investigation to a certain extent, because you are not supposed to be using commercial property in that manner, but also it's just not good for the workplace. Yeah, I mean, this is something that is being looked at by other CEOs as well in Silicon Valley because it's something certainly workers don't like. They've gotten used to not only not sleeping in the office, but free lunches, dry cleaning, all sorts of other perks. And that's something that Elon Musk is very clear that he wants to end. And the thing is, is that even in eliminating perks, shall people want to do that? It still thinks that seems that Elon is taking things even further by forcing people to sleep in the offices or um, you know, ensuring that only the hardcore people can stay on. And it really just seems to become a very, very toxic and I'd say hostile work environment. Um, is this in any way putting off the tech industry and tech world away when it comes to moving away from perks? Well, I'd say quite the opposite. I mean, we just did a story with my colleague that Malia Russell wrote this week about how a lot of tech CEOs are seeing what Elon Musk is doing and secretly or not so secretly wishing they could do that because there's a sense in Silicon Valley that a lot of these employees have been coddled the last decade because it's been such a tight labor market that even mediocre employees are paid very highly and thrown all these perks and Elon is the first to be able to say, no, wait a minute, uh, we're gonna fire you, you're gonna leave if you don't stay overnight. Cuz his position is no one has to stay overnight, they're free to leave and work somewhere else. Wow, well, I definitely know that having uh, converted workspaces into sleeping spaces is not going to create uh, the kind of warm and welcoming environment that employees will want to stay at. Of course, um, though, as we've seen at Twitter with individuals um, being there on visas, they can't necessarily sacrifice and just say, I'm not doing this and walk away, right? There are some employees on HB1 visas, which it's definitely harder for them to walk away. But this has been part of the 
um, ethos and, and the mystique of Silicon Valley, and certainly that of Elon Musk. He has said that he sleeps on the factory floor of Tesla, and he did during its darkest moments when it was teetering on the verge of bankruptcy. So he says if he does that, and he still does that, why shouldn't his employees? Oh, that's very cute. Uh, but when you look at actually also with Silicon Valley and Musk taking the slash and burn approach, it would seem that not only are you gonna have an increase in hostile work environment claims, people aren't necessarily going to wanna work for you because uh, you know drivers can often be perks and just working in environments that are not toxic. Uh, why are individuals like Musk and other individuals in Silicon Valley seem to be missing this point? Well, plenty of people still want to work at Twitter and wanna work for Elon Musk, I assure you. So I don't think he's gonna run out of people to hire. And there's plenty of people who are still very much enthralled by Elon Musk and think that he's you know, the great thinker of our age. So I don't think he's gonna have any trouble hiring people. And I think that's true of a lot of these big tech companies as well. Still, even if you are a driver of a particular industry, as I've worked for one of those drivers, when you have a toxic work environment, you impact people's lives, it would just seem highly unethical and rather disgusting. But hey, I guess some people are okay with that, especially in Silicon Valley when you dominate in tech. But in terms of where things are going moving forward when it comes to Twitter, what did things look like? Uh, that's uh, what everyone's worrying about because it's certainly been chaotic for the people who work there as well as the users at Twitter. And no one really understands what Elon Musk's plan is. He sunk all this money into the company. Uh, he's still spending a lot of time on it. Now uh, Tesla shareholders are getting very upset because he takes he keeps taking money out of Tesla and that stock has really been doing poorly and putting it into Twitter, which a lot of people see as not as viable as a business as Tesla is. So. Uh, no one's really clear on what exactly he's going to do with Twitter. Absolutely, as I understand today, Tesla hit a historic low in terms of stock. And people are being quite vociferous online and especially high profile individuals saying that they are investors in Tesla. And as a result of Elon Musk's tomfoolery, it's costing them considerably. And so I know you said there are a lot of people out there who still think he's such a great mind. And I'm sure there will always be people out there who think he is great, including his mama. But at the end of the day, are people going to continue to invest in his companies if he continues to engage in antics as he is doing now at Twitter? Uh, yes, absolutely. And and not an all-time uh, low for, for uh, Tesla. It's, it certainly had a 60% slide this year, but it has still made a ton of money for its shareholders. But uh, yes, I mean, I can assure you banks, Silicon Valley investors, Sovereign wealth funds are all lining up to still invest in Elon Musk. They are unfazed. And I think as evidence of that, he asked banks to invest this week at the original price of $54 a share into Twitter, which seems a bit fanciful since the business seems to have cratered the last couple of weeks and seems to be somewhat in jeopardy. But he still believes he can get that $54 price. Yeah, well, that's interesting. I wonder if that will actually come to fruition. Because um, I would think that some shareholders of other companies, including those who might be lending or putting their companies in arguably less than favorable positions by backing Elon Musk. But then again, what I'm just um, operating off of logic, as I would say. But hey, if people want wishful thinking, God bless them, it just won't be my money. Uh, so I guess in terms of uh, kind of wrapping up, 
where things are going in terms of tech and how this handling of Twitter, how this is influencing how individuals in tech and leaders in tech to business, what are you seeing? Well, I, I'm just seeing that a lot of the, uh, this, what Elon Musk does plays out very publicly. We see it every day on Twitter and on television networks such as this one. Every single day it's front and center. But this is happening much more quietly at other companies behind the scenes where employees are being asked to work harder and not get the perks they were the last couple of years. And a lot of CEOs are wishing they could do what Elon Musk is doing right now in terms of cutting back those perks and making employees come back to the office, work harder and, and put in the hours because they think that a lot of these employees have been coddled in this very tight labor market for the last decade. So basically the thought is uh, they wish they could ignore the humanity in their workforce and force them to sleep on floors and engage in all sorts of behaviors that again are toxic and really just flex on capitalism, right? Well, they're not running charities. These are uh, publicly traded companies and they're all uh, very depressed this year. So they're very concerned about their stock prices. Yes, uh, you know, we talk about depressed, but really uh, I'm sure they are still making considerable amounts of money. But then again, again, just thinking about the humanistic element. Um, so I guess what are you working on now? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, the humanistic element, um, you know, that's maybe something that Silicon Valley likes to talk about how they're, you know, changing the world and, um, you know, are, are there for virtue. But in reality, you know, these are money making enterprises and everyone's trying to make a lot of money. And there was an era uh, that we've lived in and I've covered for the last decade where investors would just throw money at any company and Amazon trial unprofitable thing. Alphabet, Google could try unprofitable things. Billions at the Met didn't really care because the stock kept going up. That era is very much over. Now these CEOs have to worry about actually making money, and that's going to lead to a lot of these cutbacks that we'll continue to see. Yes, and it's also as someone who um, uh, specializes in areas of workplace experiences and whatnot, it'd be interesting if these uh, tech CEOs actually look at research, maybe check out Harvard Business Review and the rest of them in terms of creating uh, inclusive workspaces and how that will help you make money because it'll help you achieve optimal performance, if not better. But then again. That's just my thought based on logic and research. Uh, but in terms of people who want to follow the work that you're doing and what you're putting out, where can they find you on social media? Yeah, they can find me at the Ben Bergman on Twitter while it still exists and while I'm hopefully not banned. And they can also find my work at Business Insider. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Ben Bergman, senior correspondent for Insider. Thanks so much.
Hello and welcome back. It's Adrian Lawrence and I got more conversation for you. And this time we are talking to the founder and president of Girls Embracing Mothers. That's Brittany Barnett. Thanks so much for joining us again, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so as I understand, there's been a new report that you all put out detailing a shocking lack of data collected as it concerns incarcerated parents. Please tell us more. Yes, we wrote a report through Girls Embracing Mothers to see what mechanisms departments of corrections in all 50 states had in place to identify incarcerated mothers and work to have enhanced visitations to keep mothers and their children connected through the mother's incarceration. And, and what we found was, while not shocking, it was still very disappointing. Nearly 50% of states across the country have no mechanisms in place to identify the women who are mothers in their custody. So when you say they don't have the data to identify, by that do you mean that they are not logging who is of the incarcerated population that has children? Absolutely, absolutely. We found that nearly 50% of the states do not collect any type of data. Maybe 12 states didn't even respond to our inquiries. 22% of the states could confirm that they do collect information on the number of parents in their custody with children. But then there was a troubling 18% of the states felt that uh, they did collect data, but they felt the data was unreliable because it was self-reported by the women. And I don't necessarily know why that would be unreliable, but I do understand in terms of data collection. Um, although the verification out there should exist in some manner. Uh, but in terms of understanding that fuller framework of what would having this data help us do? Yeah, so there are an estimated 5 million children in America who've had an incarcerated parent, you know, but that's a conservative estimate. And we understand that no one knows the true number because most agencies do not consistently collect this information. And as many of us know, especially as it relates to racial justice issues and social justice issues, lack of data leads to inequities because we don't fully understand the scale and scope of the problem. And so we feel at Girls Embracing Mothers who were an organization of directly impacted women that collecting this non-identifying data will help serve the children. Just knowing how many children the women in prison have, what is their gender, what are their ages. Children of incarcerated parents, they're often referred to as the hidden victims of mass incarceration. And collecting this information will help make them visible. And as I said, allow us to understand the scope and scale of the challenge, push correctional facilities to enhance visitation policies, enable nonprofits like ours to create even better programming and truly encourage more critical dialogue on this issue. Absolutely, because it is rather shocking that, um, as you all have noted in the report, that a near majority, about 48% of states are not collecting any data at all on the children of incarcerated parents. And it ends up overlooking those children and whatever their needs are. And you would think that when you have sentencing reports and other forms of collecting information and data on these incarcerated persons, that you would have a resource to access it. Do you think that leaders and states are just not taking the matter seriously? Absolutely not. You know, I think that they are completely overlooking this issue and this unique population of children with incarcerated parents. The number of women who are incarcerated in this country has skyrocketed over the past three decades. And, and I know from personal experience of having my own mother 
incarcerated. It is devastating to have any loved one in prison. But when it's your mama, it is a primal wound. And of course, this data is not the only solution, but it is one step and it's an extremely critical step. You know, we know from the community we're a part of, of justice impacted people that children with incarcerated parents, they have a unique set of issues, you know, and there's this trauma that's caused by maternal incarceration. And we want to be able to help our own program and other programs out there like ours to provide programming and services to help reduce that trauma associated with maternal incarceration. Absolutely, I think that that would help advance society. And also, as you noted, figure out where needs are being unmet. Because as I would assume, there is some research on how children are impacted when their parent is incarcerated. Whether it impacts their educational opportunities or maybe just ability to adjust. I would like to think that the knowledge that there is a need there is there. And so I know that in finding this data and this information that you all reached out to the Department of Corrections. How did that go? Yes, you know, it was quite the experience. You know, with our small but mighty team, we reached out to the Department of Corrections in all 50 states. You know, many of the times having to make multiple attempts to even get someone to answer the phone. You know, it was very uh, intense time consuming research that we did. But what we found was there were 22% of the states that confirmed that they did collect information on the number of women who were mothers. And what we found was in these facilities, they were more likely to be partnering with nonprofits like Girls Embracing Mothers to keep parents and their children connected. But again, we did found a very troubling stat that nearly 50% of states in this country do not collect any type of identifying, I mean, non-identifying information for for the women. And it's just very, very troubling because being connected to your parents, to your mama, it's a human right. Absolutely, without a doubt. And especially as I know that it, that this lack of data and this issue largely disproportionately impacts black families in particular in black people who we know are incarcerated at higher rates and the injustices within the quote unquote justice system. And so as a result of that, it almost continues to perpetuate harms that are legacy generational harms that attribute from back in times of slavery of not having access to a parent because your family has been broken apart by the state or by those in positions of power. And so do you think that in part that that's why this is not getting the attention it deserves because it disproportionately impacts black families? Oh, without a doubt. You know, I wholeheartedly believe that racial injustice bleeds through America's criminal legal system. You know, on the fact that millions of children are separated from their parent each day without accessible and meaningful opportunities to maintain contact is unconscionable. And as you mentioned, this disproportionately impacts black children and children of color. Absolutely. Also, it'd be kind of interesting because, as we know, men are incarcerated far at far greater rates than women are. And also, as a woman, you would know if you gave birth, and hopefully that that child is still alive. But essentially, the system has access to individuals who hold this data, and so just simply not sampling or getting a full understanding or picture. And also too, the thing that hits me is that if the person, if the system doesn't know the person has a child, 
then having those bonds disconnected, if they move that individual to a facility located in a different part of the state where they are so much further away from family. It just would seem very critical to want to know where are the ties that this individual has and how do we do our best to maintain those ties? Absolutely, you know, and ultimately, as we're saying, children and parents, they need to stay connected. I know this through firsthand experience. I know this through the past 10 years that Girls Embracing Mothers has operated, you know, in partnership with Texas prisons. And, and when we don't have those connections and relationships, there are millions of children across, across this country who will continue to experience generational trauma. Yes, and that's something that our system should be investing in changing and eliminating. And so what is your hope for these correctional institutions and these correctional bodies? What What's the end goal here? Yes, our hope is that they will start to put children of incarcerated parents at the forefront and understand that it's all a part of the rehabilitative process, you know, with programs like ours that work to keep mothers connected with their children. It's good for the entire family, you know, but it also helps reduce recidivism with the mothers, you know, and so there's this holistic approach that has to be at the center of transforming this criminal legal system and keeping children connected with their parents definitely needs to be a priority. So we're hoping that these facilities really take that to heart, really work to enhance their visitation practices and truly understand how important it is to break the cycle of incarceration and build that bond between parents and their children. Absolutely, and is there any potential of connecting with whether it's Congress or members of the executive branch to try to ensure that is at least done maybe at the federal level? Absolutely, we, we feel that this is an issue at the federal, state and local levels. And we hope this report is just a first step and a catalyst to being able to shine a very, very bright light on this critical topic. Absolutely, and I really wanna thank you for all the work that you do um, as the founding uh, individual as well as the president of Girls Embracing Mothers. And so even though we just have a few minutes left, can you tell us what you are working on moving forward that maybe people can get involved in or should look forward to? Yes, with Girls Embracing Mothers, we are really working to create a safe space for women and girls who've been impacted by maternal incarceration. We are based in Texas and I'm so excited to announce that we will be expanding to other states in the South primarily starting in 2023. And so really working with people in communities in Mississippi and Tennessee and Arkansas and Alabama to really get the message on the ground, but then also to really build a community to most importantly drive impactful change. All right, wonderful. That sounds like it will be very powerful. And I'm glad you are all, you're able to extend your reach because I know that it means more work will be done and this issue will be ameliorated or at least more likely to be the case. And so for people who do wanna get involved and they wanna follow the work that you do, where should they go? Yes, please check out our website, girlsembracingmothers.org and follow us on Instagram at girlsembracingmothers. Fantastic, thank you so much. We really appreciate you joining us today and for continuing the work that you do, the report. I'm sure that took a lot of work and a lot of time, but I know it's individuals like you who will help without a doubt, make the justice system a little bit more just, which is something that we need. Absolutely, thank you so much. Excellent, that is Brittany Barnett, founder and president of Girls Embracing Mothers. Thank you again for joining us, Brittany. Thank you.